So today on the podcast, we talk with Jeremy Liu, who is a co-founder of RootMap, a software platform that we use in most of our meetings at this point. It really helps us do our work well, both in a strategic sense and a human sense. And although Jeremy is quite young, he apparently has had 800 different lives. So we're going to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, totally. And we're going to get into uh, the kind of values that are underneath these online tools. And like, how do you, you know, as a value set, as a founder of an online tool or as a user of an online tool, how do you engage with these type of things from a place of values as well as a place of tool and usability and effectiveness? And so we kind of get into that with him towards the end of the podcast as well, which I think was a really provocative part of the conversation for me. So join us. Jeremy is just like a gorgeous human. We think you'll really enjoy him and what he has to say and uh, and as always we're dancing between the kind of strategic and the tactical and the deeply personal Well, I think it's perfect because in many ways, what we're actually here to talk about is online collaboration. And we've just spent the first 41 minutes of this call. <laughs> as it's not 41 minutes. Let's be fair. It's from quarter past till quarter till 22 just kind of like logging on and off platforms, uh, uh, trying out different mics. I've plugged my headphones into three different sockets to get the headphones working. Uh, and we've uh, all of us have logged on and off. We've uh, shut down the program and restarted the program. And here we are. And actually the whole, it's like one of the most exciting things about meeting you, Jeremy, has been us kind of like working and like upping our game in terms of online collaboration. And even as we got onto this call, I just came off this hilarious online platform where like is a 2D world that you travel through that's interactive. Like the whole kind of like, how do we, you know, in the midst of all of the tech, how do we enable this kind of like human interaction and the kind of synchronicity and the connection that is fundamentally human in all of this. And and, and in a funny way, I don't know how the two of you feel like sometimes working through all the crap of the tech is an incredibly human endeavor. <laughs> it's a hundred percent a human endeavor. Um, I used to be a teacher in a classroom and you can have the most beautifully laid out lesson plans ready to go. And you walk in and nothing works. The power doesn't mm. work. There's, there's a student who's missing a chair. There's, there's something that's <laughs> gone wrong, you know, and it's, Someone hasn't got the right uniform on. It's and everything suddenly becomes chaos. So you just manage in the moment. Nice. And I feel like um, people have been quite patient with managing in the moment. Maybe because everyone's having to do it right now, they don't seem quite so mad about it. You know, I, I feel like I feel like I remember pre-COVID, people would be a little like, "Oh, get it together." And now folks are like, "Yep." That's how it is. Of course, we do ask, like one of the things we ask at, at the outset of kind of like how to participate online, one of the things we say is, please give us patience and perseverance and empathy, right? Yeah. These tools are just what they are. We do the best we can. And so people really do seem to be able to to show up. That feels like a big difference. Yeah. And backgrounds have become a thing, haven't they? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like you suddenly start noticing changes in people's backgrounds a lot. You know, like, oh, I don't like that red. What have you done? In the, what's that red doing in your background? <laughs> oh, oh, you've moved office, haven't you? What's that? Who did that? Your son did that art? Oh, that's amazing. Like, there's a lot of that happening on calls. Like, like in, in a funny way, like, there's this, 
like the slightest change almost like opens up these, again, very human conversations. Like we were on a call the other day and there was this incredible piece of art in this in this bloke's background that was on the call. And it turns out it was his son. And everybody was just like, no way, your son's an artist. And and so the, I think there is some, even, you know, the uh, uh, one of the guys I listened to that he talks about, we're, we're all working with the goddess of limitations right now. And like, mm. when you get these limited spaces, you actually start seeing quite small things change and become quite significant and then become these doorways through which we connect to each other. It's quite... It's quite lovely in a funny way. Yeah, it is. It is fantastic. I've had a, definitely had instances of background envy, and then someone will will show their virtual background, and others will um, they'll play around with that. I don't know if this has happened to you, but I've um, I used to use a lot of virtual backgrounds, and then over time, I've just felt more and more comfortable just mm. letting people see the mess that is behind me, mm-hmm. <laughs> and. Um, and to be more human, um, you know, we, we started off doing uh, demonstrations and sales pitches and all those sorts of things. And we thought, oh, we have to be super professional. Let's get a custom made background. And we've all got to be dressed up to a certain way. And we've got to, you know, present, present, present. And then this unrealistic expectation became that you just became an actor on their screen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we stripped away all of that. Um, and suddenly it just felt a bit more human and they felt more comfortable turning their screens on. Um, So I don't know if that's happened to you, but that's certainly been something that I've seen happen. Well, I love that, Jeremy. And I feel like we should do a little introduction of you because I, well, because people should know who you are and we're interviewing you today. But also I want to say that it was that humanness and the lack of pretension uh, that felt really clear for me why we chose to work with GroupMap. And so it's quite interesting to hear you say that. I was like, oh, it feels like I'm working with Jeremy who plays volleyball. And you know what I mean? It's just kind of in his house, right? Um, not that that was unprofessional in any way, but it was somehow felt more grounded, less pretentious than some of the other folks we talked with who were doing online work as well. So, um, so maybe let's, Tim will probably do a better job, Tim, you found, because you found Jeremy. So can you talk about our process to getting to group map? And then maybe Jeremy can talk about group map a little bit. You know, here's the difference, Juice. If I was to like make a tweet out of it, many of the people we talked to, it felt like we being pitched a product. When we yeah. talked to you, it felt like we were being invited into a relationship. And like, mm-hmm. and that was a fundamental difference. And I think that's also reflected in the technology that we work with with you in that in the, a lot of how it's set up is, to, is building relationship among our participants that um, amplifies their ability to connect when they're working virtually or asynchronously over time. And so what we were doing was, you know, we found within the kind of very large contracts we had where we were, tr- were attempting really significant change over time in very complex circumstances, suddenly we couldn't meet. And, uh, and a lot of our work had been based around the magic of when you got people together, what could take place in that kind of transformative environment. And then the magic of those experiences drove the online space you know what I mean, to be alive and energized. And suddenly that whole element of our approach was gone, right? Mm -hmm. And so we were in the question of like, yeah, really quickly, we can do the strategic work in the online space, but how do we really begin to engender magic? How do we begin to engender connection? How do we begin to engender synchronicity? How do we make sure that people aren't just 
coming from their own particular window of perspective, literally window of perspective on the screen to actually seeing a bigger picture of patterns across a group or across a series of meetings. Like, how do we do that? And that's when we kind of bumped into group map. We did a lot of, you know, we did a lot of looking around. And uh, I also showed it to some techie friends of mine who were like, oh my God, the tech under this is incredible. They've got something amazing here that's just going to grow and be more awesome. Um, and so I think, uh, and so I think that's kind of how we met you was we were really looking of like, this has to be more than Zoom meetings, you know, yeah. and, uh, um, uh, and, and how how do we bring some of the magic and the excitement of what it means to work together face to face? How do we bring that into the online space? And that's when we bumped into you and kind of uh, were amazed to find an organization and a set of individuals who were, you know, not only had a great product, but were willing to change that in response to the kind of ideas we came up with. So Jeremy Liu, welcome onto the stage. Good to have you oh, with well, us. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. It's nice to have you. Oh, wow. That was the most amazing backstory I've ever had. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm very humbled to have met you guys because when I did the um, initial present demonstration, I think I was, I was doing some weird topic right it had something to do with superheroes and cartoon characters and yes, and right. i just remember that i left that meeting saying well that was not the most normal of conversations <laughs> demonstrations i've ever had there was way too much humor so nothing's <laughs> going to happen out of that one but hey i had a good time um but i think um one of the the amazing things of of um like you know partnering and having this relationship with the outside was i just didn't realize how real you guys were because when you first meet people and you you take them on face value and go wow they were great but then as I've just kept working with you guys I've just went wow that's the same people I met you know it's just the same people and that I think is um, the same level of professionalism the same level of craziness the need to achieve as well as the desire to connect and to make change that's that's definitely come through each and every time so um yeah super humbled to be here that's Brilliant. great. It's so good to have you. And I want to say, although I 100% agree with what Tim said, that, you know, that we were looking to um, increase the magic and the humanness. And this will just, I think, probably tell you the diff a little bit of difference between Tim and I. I was like, but actually, how are we going to get work done? Like, I wanted mm. to feel good, but I actually, like, we're, we're doing quite strategic work here. We actually need people to be able to give good information as if we were in a room and make really hard decisions together that will change how staffing patterns are, that may leave people out of work, that deal with budget cuts. Like, how do you do that? So yes, absolutely bring the humanist, but I also was really looking at the platform to say, and how do people feed into it? And how are we working with issues of equity there? Because in a room, we have lots of things we can mitigate online. I'm not sure how to do that. And so uh, I, f I feel like group map does that it has a lot of different ways of doing that. But I also felt like when we met you, you had a lot of ideas to bring as well. It wasn't, it wasn't as simple as, oh, this Jeremy is what we want to do. Can you make it happen? You're like, oh, we have this feature and this feature. And could you try this? And maybe you'd like to try lights out to, try, you know, I just feel like you were with us uh, as a partner in design, even for mm. what that could look like, as well as the platform which was really exciting to me. So I was curious yeah. about your own background. You mentioned you were a teacher, but I know nothing else about you besides group map oh. guru. 
Jeez. Okay, well, um, okay, I can definitely share my career history. It's one of those bizarre things. So I actually was kicked off home when I was 17 by my by my mom for not vacuuming up the dirt off the pot plant that I was supposed to clean. So very strict Asian tiger mom. Um, went to live with uh, my second mom, who was the antithesis of my, my um, birth mom. Very giving, very generous, very poor. We um, spent a lot of time in um, filling up half of shampoo bottles and shaking it up with water to have double the amount of shampoo, those sorts of things. So I, I, I started off as apprenticeship in a, a diary company, not dairy, diary company. And one of my most boring jobs in the world was to proofread a diary. It's literally every day of every page. That's what I did for a while. Um, wow. Yeah, soon left that job. Um, and over like for, I think, two years, I think I had a whole range of jobs, anything from waitering to market research to getting onto eBay and um, becoming a mystery shopper. So um, I wrote a Ooh. book about how to be a mystery shopper because um, I made some money out of that, but I made more money selling the book on how to become that. And then things have progressed from there. Uh, and then I ended up doing accounting but wait, of wait. all things. Go on. I, 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 like, Tim and I are just looking at just like mystery shopper. Okay, can we just put a pin in that at least for a later sure. conversation privately? That is very intriguing. Okay, sure. mystery shopper to accountant. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Yep. Mystery shopper to accountant. So I uh, did my accounting and marketing degree um, while I was doing all these odd jobs, you, you know, through university. Uh, left that and became an auditor of superannuation funds. Yes, it was uh, <laughs> not the most exciting job in the world, but I, I did that for a while. Um, I left that mainly of, because of cultural issues. It was actually causing me a lot of stress because of the, the way the leadership was managing the team. And as a small team, there was just no connection. Everything, even the screensavers were uniform throughout this Ugh. team of eight. So wow. everything wow. was depersonalized in this, in this workplace. Um, I then moved into tax accounting and, um, and then into management accounting. Um, and that's when I had a car accident and decided that, well, you know, I lived the car didn't, and we, we kind of T-boned into a tree. I wasn't driving at the time. It was someone else. Uh, and I decided I can't work my life in a cubicle. Mm. So I, um, I took a massive pay cut. I went and worked in a small niche consulting firm doing marketing and business consulting. Um, with a, It was very boutique, but that's what we did. So I, I went around and did everything from... Uh, franchise management through to the most odd job was um, electroencephalograms. So we used to measure people's brain waves on EEG machines. And I worked with a scientist from the US who had patented the product. We were commercializing in Australia. So part of us, wow. a part of the job was to go ahead and read people's brain waves and help Whoa. them bio, uh, using biofeedback manage that. Um, now, in the U.S., it's great because it's a more common practice that can be insured. But in Australia, there's still a lot of focus on taking the drug and less on other mm. therapies. So it was it was kind of a breakthrough um, in, for helping a lot of people. It's super rewarding. Unfortunately, the scientists um, 
had an aspartame um, issue. So he had oh. a heart attack. Oh, wow. And yeah, and passed away. So then from there, I did a whole bunch of things. I, um, I worked for a not-for-profit with Diabetes WA as their general manager of corporate services and uh, handing out injections. Uh, Wait, you uh, haven't sorry, even got to pumps. teacher yet. I'm just, I'm just making a note that you <laughs> no. haven't even got. Are, are you like 74 years old and you just look incredibly young? Is that the situation here? I think you're actually like some like ancient, ancient elder or something who's just like, you, how many lives are you talking about? Wait a minute. That's should, another thing. I should have warned here. you that is one question you shouldn't have no. asked is career progression. It. It's awesome. I, I love, love this. Yeah. So, uh, oh, I did skip a whole scenario, but um, I, when I was working at Diabetes, uh, before I was working at Diabetes WA, I was, I was teaching at Curtin University. So I finished my accounting degree and I got given a job as a tutor. Um, and the day I was supposed to be taking the lesson, they rang up and said, the lecturer has actually been taken to hospital. Can you cover? And I went, oh, this is my first day teaching. I don't think I could do this. So anyway, I did. And six weeks later, I was still doing this lecturing. So they, they kept me on board after that. Um, and I ended up tutoring uh, Perth's billionaire couple. So for those who like a Google, go and look up the Oswald family. They were Perth's billionaire couple at the time. And wow. um, we were doing some private tuition. And they had a lovely goal to set up um, vegetarian restaurants to compete with Hungry Jack's and McDonald's. Oh, That's, nice. Yeah. Um, Sustainability-based vegetarianism. So I worked in New York and London for a while trying to help them set this up. But there was a big difference between their vision and their reality. Mm. So their, the amount of money they had was ridiculous. We're talking private jet planes and, you know, many development with saffron and the rice that was going to cost $40 a dish, which you would never be able to compete with. Um, right. So there was a whole bunch of issues. Um, so again, I left there on cultural reasons, came back to Western Australia, worked for a not-for-profit organization uh, for a couple of years, got, some, got them a couple of grants. Um, I was headhunted to go to the School of Science at Curtin Uni. Um, so I, I moved positions there and that's kind of where we developed group map um, was out of the teaching practice when I wanted to kind of engage students in dialogue and conversation and case studies not just you know turn my back to them and write on the yeah. wall yeah uh, that's where group map came out of yeah and so J Jeremy I mean you can refuse to answer this question but genuinely how old are you I'm 42 yeah what? so look at that like just think just think about like I mean, I love it, and and um, and uh, and I love that. Uh, like the all the although it's like many many stepping stones. There's like somehow a path in all of that. Do you know what I mean? And uh, and I just wondered, like, what what's the red thread for you running through it all that kind of got you to Group Map? Like it, but like like somehow you've ended up here. Like for all we know, Group Map could just be the stepping stone to the next thing. And I'm totally, you know, but like. What's the red thread running through? What's the question you've been asking yourself everywhere you go? And you've you've pretty consistently, I mean, a few times you mentioned for cultural reasons, you know, and that points at like something that's missing, but also something you're hungry for. 
And so I just, what, uh, what's been the driving question through all of that? What is it that's just kept you moving on? I'm just really intrigued by that. That is a good question. I think I've left a lot of jobs because of a values clash. So right. for me, the values of where what I'm doing and what contribution I'm bringing, that has been a very common element. Mm. But the other half of it is serendipity. I couldn't have dreamed that you know I was going to be taking over some lecturer's role because they got taken to hospital and I had to step in last minute that was nothing to do with values but um, you know developing group mat was a desire to become a, a better educator and um, you know leaving one job to, to go to another was was always driven by am I bringing am I being my true self here have mm -hmm. I given it a red hot go? Because one, I, you know, when you do those value surveys and mm -hmm. and you kind of do your self assessment. Uh, so apparently, one of the big things in my vocabulary, internal vocabulary, is hope. Mm. Um, and I, I carry a lot of that with me. And on a positive side, that means I wish the best for everyone. I see the positive sides and for everyone. And on the negative aspect of hope is that I will hang on to something in the hope that I think I will make it better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was thinking about this serendipity piece, because of course, I, I do believe in synchronicity and I in serendipity. And I think that that happens when we're aligning with our with our values and what we're here to do, which is feels like that's kind of been a compass for you. And I just wanted to say out loud, and I'm curious how this lands for you, that that serendipity seems seems to also happen when somebody sees something in you, right? So this lecturer piece, you were just asked to do it. And yes, you, and you said yes, and you went for it. I was thinking about how um, remarkable it is for a 17 year old boy to have a, a, a kind mom to go to when, you know, mm. you let, like there's, she was seeing, and you know, she, she took you into her house for a reason. You got asked to lecture for a reason. These uh, these vegetarian restaurant folks saw something you could do. I just think there's something also that's, um, I, I, I just want to name that mm. I think part of what I'm hearing in your journey is people seeing something in you and then you being willing to say yes to that oh. too. Well, maybe you've picked up on something that I haven't because uh, <laughs> I haven't thought about it that way. Choose that um, remarkable insight. So um, maybe they see something I don't, right? different different lenses i feel like that's happened a lot in my career and life so you know i've just i was picked up by people who definitely saw something i didn't see in myself and just said you you know and then took me places and did things with me that i just never would have had the opportunity to do otherwise if i think about meg wheatley in my world or tolkien muller or bob stilger you know three people who just saw something in me and were like yeah you you know, and like, I didn't really even understand the significance of it at the time, you, you know, mm. um, and it's only in hindsight that I'm like, oh, yeah. And do you find that you have that same habit with others? I want to say yes for Tim. I, he can answer for himself and I will let you do that. But as soon as you said that, Tim, I'm like, and Tim did that for me. Didn't. Right. No, it's true. It's true. He invited me into this huge project. We'd never worked together before. You were just like you, I think mm. you have something. And he, the only person who's done that for me, but I think for sure, uh, Tim, you do that all of the time, but I just want to give my example. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, and I think that's great, right? Because you, you do, you do need to 
recognize and seek and and search and and discover and and you do that either as part of your nature i've always um i've always tried a lot to do that in facts and figures and numbers in my younger days and then as i progress as i do progress in age i am i wish i was a unicorn but i'm not i i'm finding now as i age i'm worrying less about the numbers and more about the people mhm Mm-hmm. I'm really interested, um, partly because I think there's a set of values that underlie group map, you know, right, yeah. but like you mm. keep saying that you've made a series of value choices, values based mm-hmm. choices, you know, and, um, and so I'm kind of be like, well, what are some of those like compass values for you? What are some of those? Like, they're almost like non-negotiable stances that you've chosen to take, even as a fundamentally hopeful person who will mm. give even beyond when you should be really, because this thing is probably going to tank or not fit for you. You've just kept on giving. There's something non-negotiable in you, a set of values. And and, and I would wager a bet that they're some of the founding values of group map too. But I just wonder sure. what, if you can, can you give words to those? Do you know what they are? Or are they more felt, uh, I guess? Are you talking about my personal values or are you talking about our company values? So, okay. so Your personal, but but I'm making a direct connection between those two things. But I'm more interested in your personal. Yeah. So personally for me, the ones that I know that um, that have have come out have been hope, um, honesty, resilience, and respect. For, Mm. For some reason, they seem to always be the ones that kind of surface from from whether i'm doing say something like the barrett's value survey or it's a self-assessment survey or a leadership style they they seem to be the ones that stand out um there's always been some other ones but those four have been the common ones can you talk to me about what resilience means to you specifically like i'm i mean i feel like i can hear it in your story but i'm really quite interested in what how you how you use that word as a value I think resilience for me is um, a combination of discipline and professionalism um, and and kind of hanging on when you want to fight for something that's right. So, for example, um, you know, I've had a recent incident where um, I, I volunteer for a, a club and there was a leadership decision that was made that was simply a text to say, thanks, but no thanks, volunteers. Um, and that was it. No verbal, no face-to-face, nothing. It was just a text message that went out. And I couldn't help myself. I thought, all right, I'm, I'm going to be the, have to be the one that, that says something, um, even if it means losing a friendship. Mm. And that, for me, was resilient because it takes a lot of guts and courage, but it, it took me three days to get that amount of courage up. It's not like I just picked up the phone yeah. and went, okay, I'm just going to be resilient now. It took me right. days and nights of thinking through what am I going to do and should I say this and and that, but that resilience of knowing that something isn't right and what can I do to maybe change a mind or or fix something that or speak out for others who might not feel that strong. We were just on a call yesterday with um, uh, some folks we're working with in Sweden and, and it kind of came up in the conversation with them around like how insurmountable some of the challenges are that we face Mm -hmm. just as human beings, whether it's raising our child or whether it's trying to 
change a healthcare system. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's like it, it's seeming, and it's like how do and I just like how do you how do we respond to that? You know, like that. Mm. Like why even bother? Almost, you know. I'd like to read you guys something and see what you think about it. Is that all okay. right? It's yeah. it's from this book, sure. um, a branch from the from the lightning tree by Martin Shaw. And it says, uh, it says, as individuals, we may feel vulnerable and doubtful of our ability to change anything. The seemingly overwhelming images of disaster we're confronted with can freeze us like rabbits in the headlights. As we feel our collective energy go down the psychic plug hole, I'm reminded of someone at a conference asking Gary Snyder, why bother to save the planet? And he replied with a grin, because it's a matter of character and a matter of style. Finn, which is one of the famous Irish heroes, would stand up. Boudicca would stand up. Arthur would stand up. Crazy Horse would stand up. Bridget would stand up. Robin Hood would stand up. And I just love this idea that it's a matter of character, of style. Like there's something in what you're talking about, which is just who you are. Maybe. Some others might call it a messiah complex. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. But I, I love you. I love your version of it, Tim. That poem was perfect. And um, I heard a lot of resonating words in there. But yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure where it came from. One day I'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, I've, I've definitely been the anti-bully even at school. Mm. So something, something happened. But uh, I wish I knew what. And now you have this platform that lets people connect with each other right I just I, I just there's something I know we take so much for granted around what we're doing right now um and how things are changing so quickly but I like sometimes it's still a little bit bakes my noodle that we can gather people around the world in one place they can talk together real time and make decisions together real time because they can see you know they can see a bigger picture together they can I just like, I still feel like it's kind of, there's a part of me that kind of feels like this is all quite remarkable. Like, who would have thought this? I just, you know, phones used to have cords, right? And you, you know <laughs> yes. what I mean? Like In living memory, I remember the dial phone. Mum and dad still have that same phone in their bedroom, actually. It's like one of those dial ones with the curly cords off the back, you know? You lift up the... Yeah. yeah. I know. And, I, and again, I'm excited about where the world can, you know, where the world is heading in terms of trying to to bridge these distances because even with COVID, like it hasn't stopped connection. It's made it more tricky, but the need for human connection will just mean that people continue to innovate. They will find ways. They will look for things that work. They will they will just they'll just keep going. You know, so um yeah, that that in its way will pave its way for new opportunities, I think. I agree. I 100% agree. And I feel like working with group map is like just keeping us right on an edge there. Right. And just to kind of name, like, I feel like we're, we're like charting new, at least for us in our work, charting new waters with you. Right. Like that. And it feels like it's one of the, one of the tools, I guess is the right word to, to, to show like we're just mm. moving forward into what's next. Yeah. Well, and I think you said it perfectly Tuesday. It's just a tool you, you, you know, everyone that, works with the tool that's the person that's bringing the the energy and the outcome right it's the we are the hammer and everyone else is the, is the trades person mm. so the quality of the work and the quality of outcome 
yes, to have a good quality tool makes sense, but it, it still comes back down to that human influence. I don't think we will take our, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the need for that away. You know, we never designed GroupMap to take over teaching. It's just to help give teachers that the way to facilitate conversations, better conversations, and the same way with um, what you guys do for your work. So we're very humbled and pleased and and just just actually overjoyed that we've been able to do so many things because we, we know that um, it's definitely had a help in terms of COVID planning. So mm. we've seen that the teams that have been working with that um, and just even strategy, but culture change and HR functions, everything, just it's very humbling. Yeah. All right. Maybe we don't have time for this, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because just because, sorry, Tuesday. Um, so our team has been, we've just, we're moving ourselves from WhatsApp to Signal, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because of the recent- Perhaps. Perhaps. We, we, that's what we thought we were doing. And, um, and, uh, and you know, because of WhatsApp's uh, kind of change of law, change of agreement around data protection, et cetera, et cetera. So we, you know, Signal seemed like the obvious option when we went online as a nonprofit driven organization um, and, uh, you know, high level of security, encrypted one end to the other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But there's been a huge pause button put on it by our team because they're like, wait a minute, like all of the far right is moving onto that platform at the moment. And actually, we don't want to be part of that migration. You know, mm. and so on some level, you know, we can think about signal as just a tool. Right. Like it's just a tool. Yeah. Right. But how that tool is leveraged matters and mm-hmm. who is leveraging that tool matters. A chainsaw is just yeah. a chainsaw and I can use it in my garden to make my trees nicer and take down the dead trees and do really good things, you know, or it can be used to destroy the Amazon rainforest. Like, so there's some level at which a tool is not just a tool. You know, yeah, and yeah, I just sure. wonder, I just wonder what any insight you might have on that as like a, just like a good person who's in this world um, and also who's designed a tool. Like, do you have boundaries around the use of that tool or who uses it or how it's used? Or I just, I, and I don't have answers here, Jeremy, just like genuine curiosity. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying because the, the conscious buyer who looks at the food that they eat and where it's come from is now the same thing that's happening in software. I know it's bizarre. So we fill out questionnaires about child labor, slavery, anti-corruption, bribery. Um, are we a minority? Is there gay and lesbian representation? Are we an Asian minority? Like all these questions are large and small and down to the individual buyer, it's coming into the software industry. So it, we're not immune to, to all of this. So this, this concept that you're talking about, should we just see applications as a tool? Yes, in, in terms of work. But you still have, as a buying group, the capability to choose which tool you pick, right? So what is what is the ethical decision for you? Um, we have similar uh, decision-making processes that we go through when we work with third-party apps, for example, hmm. as to what is their data and privacy and security, who who are they? What what you know? What are they doing? Like we literally have to kind of work out who they are as people because it's people that's building the product. Um, from our own usage limitations, yeah, we know we don't necessarily um, 
stop people, but we have lots of policies that says, what can you actually use group map for? If mm. you are a terrorist organization, then it's not going to happen. So we do, you know, if there's trial abuse, that's not going to happen. If it's, if it's something that's anything dodgy or suspicious, uh, we actually have in-app um, screens. It's like the, the name of the company is actually called that as well, spelled differently, that will look for those things and go, ah. oh, flag, red flag, red flag. Wow. So cool. it's, it's something that's important to us. Um, so, yeah, we just it's just part of thinking about it overall because I think, as I said, the software industry is not going to be immune from the conscious buyer in the future. I love it. And there was one thing you said there that I just want to get you to repeat. And it's like one of those things where you may not be able to even remember you said it, but you said something about um, products and people. So it's, it's like, you're not just buying a product because the product was, you get, you have to get to know the people because the people made it or something. And it was along those lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, you do buy a product and some people will just look at it and treat it as just a goods a good or service and other people will look at like what is it what's behind this product like what not necessarily the story but uh i'm trying to think of a you know like the what you've said with whatsapp and signal is, is a good example the same thing with facebook and their yeah and how the companies run or a twitter or any social media platform currently because that's all in the in the news but the, even down to um, what we do is with the third-party apps is we just look at little, it could be basic things, their customer support, um, where they're hosted, what's their um, policies like. And so we try to understand the mindset of the organization because that will be built into their product. Mm. I love it. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's more of an art than a science because, yes, you can have the best, you know, things said but then in reality it's completely different so we kind of just have to play by ear on those ones well and I just really appreciate what you said is it's and we tend to say it just a little bit differently like the DNA the DNA of the work kind of comes into the product right so you have to understand what it is the product grows out of those values Mm. of those policies of the decisions that people are making right that the product isn't separate from that it grows out of that and so I love to hear how you're discerning because I think I think we have a lot of hard conversations to come up. What social media we use? Mm. What like yeah. where do we go? Do you know? Yeah. Do we need companies like how, even how do we? Yeah. So I think there's a lot up for us, but it's, so it's really great to hear how you're thinking about it. Yeah, right. it's a lot. Even back in the early days when you know education, we know that they want free products, but to build the product, it has to be it has to have a revenue source, and then the only way you could really do that was through ads. But do you really want to be selling kids' data to advertising companies? No, we're just we're just going to choose a different path. So it has, like you said, the DNA. It it feeds into those decisions. Yeah, I love it. Well, my friends, we're nearly at time. And as always with you, Jeremy, it just feels like every conversation we feel we start feels like there's like a new avenue that we get into. So I've just really enjoyed it. And and um, and I know that you had a song that you were bringing in today. Oh, and, <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And uh, and uh, and I'd love to. And, and at the very beginning, Tuesday asked you why you chose that song. And you uh, can you just give us a little bit on like. Tell us what the song is and tell us a little bit why that one is kind of on repeat for you at the moment or what is it about it that 
touches you. Sure. Okay. So the um, the song is Memories by Maroon 5. Mm. And I remember it simply because I was driving in the car. I wasn't looking out for a song. It wasn't something that was that was uh, meant to have an impact, but it it brought tears to my eyes because it was mm. about friends that uh, it was about gratitude and about losing friends along the way and being in the present, but knowing that they can't be there with you. Cheers to the ones that we got. Cheers to the wish you were here, but you're not Cause the dreams bring back all the memories Of everything we've been through Toast to the ones here today Toast to the ones that we lost on the way Cause the dreams bring back all the memories And the memories bring back memories bring back. And I'm not talking about friends who've passed away I'm not, I'm not even talking about friends who have, you know, you know No longer with us in body I'm just talking about people that came into your life that did something, that changed something that may have disappeared. Um, and sometimes that had, that could have been a relationship. It could have been someone you met just walking by, It all those things. So that's why that song means something to me because the people that I was cheering were not friends that have passed away. It's people that brought something to my life. So those are the memories that I carry with me. And it also helped that my best friend at the time called me and said, oh, you're my best friend. And we had this moment there and and then that's Aww. what you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I love it. Mm. I love it. Thank you. Yeah. It's amazing how music somehow finds these moments for us where it just like hits a certain moment and it arrives and it, the it's that synchronicity again, isn't it? You know, that like where things suddenly click into place and the right music arrives and the right feeling. And beautiful. Yeah, Thank they're you. sneaky. They're sneaky, those little tunes. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they are. That's what's so amazing about them, right? That's true. Absolutely. They like kind of like sneak in. You're like, oh my gosh, look, there it is. Yeah. I love that. Hey, so we can either we can either we have a poem ready. Tuesday has a poem ready. Or if you would like to read a poem that has meant something to you, no, that's that is a pretty clear shake of the head. Just <laughs> just for those who were listening, there was yeah. like a Only very clear Tim like. Only because Tuesday no. know the reason why the, the <laughs> topic of the poem is absolutely a hundred miles away from everything I've just said. It was think of it as the opposite of all the values I've mentioned because it's poetry, right? So. <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, although Tim is giving me a hard time about this poem because it is the poem that has been heard around the world a million times in the last 24 hours, it also feels like it's the right thing to just note. We are um, a day after the inauguration in the U.S., which of course, um, there were so many questions about whether it would go peacefully, um, and 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 how it would just all shake out. And so the day was beautiful. It went peacefully. And uh, one of the highlights of the day, there were many, but one of the highlights of the day was this reading of a poem by a woman, a young woman named Amanda Gorman. And it is just, it is going around the world because it is, it's remarkable. It's every time I listen to it, I'm like, how, how did this person pull these words together? Um, and so it is both, um, a beautiful, uh, a beautiful bit of poetry, and also uh, so moving to me that you know. I think one of the first things she says is, you know, that it. I think she's something like a twenty-two-year-old skinny black woman who thought she could be president is now reading for the president. You know, it's just, it's, just, it just feels quite 
amazing to watch her and watch her uh, shine on that particular stage and know that it's possible for her to shine, which I don't know. I don't know that it was when she was born, if that would have happened on that stage uh, for a person with her body and her mind and her brilliance. And so, um, yeah, the poem moved me in many, many ways. Mr. President, Dr. Biden, Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace, and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together, victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promised glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it. Because being American is more than a pride we inherit. It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a force that would shatter our nation rather than share it would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated.
In this truth, in this faith we trust, for while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So, while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be, a country that is bruised, but whole, benevolent, but bold, fierce, and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens, but one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with every breath from my bronze pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the west. We will rise from the windswept northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked south. We will rebuild reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation, in every corner called our country, our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful. When day comes, we step out of the shade of flame and unafraid, the new dawn blooms as we free it. For there is always light, if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. I love it. Thank you. It is an incredible piece of writing and poetry, and and like in the and and like you know that word zeitgeist, but like it just like right in the spirit, like finding words to speak to the spirit of a moment like that. You know where? Mm. Yeah, I love it. Thanks, Choose. Great. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. You rock. Yes. It's yeah. awesome to connect to you this way. We love our pod because of this, because we get to have amazing people like you in with us and dive in deep. And so thank you so much for like sharing a bit of yourself and a bit of your work. It's been incredibly rich. You're welcome. And thank you for the your time as well. It's been great spending that time with you guys, as always. Wicked. Yeah, yeah, wicked. Mm -hmm.